0: This week has been a long week, a week full of tears, mourning, and rage. This has caused many black and brown people to echo the words of Michael Jackson, we can't win. We can't win in education. We can't win in housing. We can't win in the justice system. No matter how far we run, Racism seems to somehow, some way stick her autocratic camouflage foot out and trip us up. And we are tired. We can't breathe. Many of us have been weeping. As I thought of the police officer Derek, who killed and murdered George Floyd, I thought to myself and to the Lord. And in this world, how in the world do we come back from this? Will love ever rise again? I can't breathe, God. Will peace be able to piece us back together again? Because I can't breathe, God. Will peace be able to piece us back together again? Because I can't breathe, God. Will justice ever lay injustice to rest? Because I can't breathe, God. Why does Derek have his foot on George's neck, God? Then God answered my prayer, church. He reminded me of Derek Retman. The Olympic runner came to my mind. I thought of him because I knew when he took the wind out of George, when Derek, the police officer, took the wind out of George, he taken the wind not only out of black people, but out of white people, and Asian people, and all kinds of people across this nation. I knew amongst us uh, we would be grieving something in a way that we have never grieved before. I knew that. I knew that this world would be in turmoil. But I was confident that we would rise again. We would rise like we have always done before. With that same limp, we would rise. One of the most amazing moments in history is when Derek Anthony Redmond in 1992 in the Olympic Games and Barcelona Tour in Barcelona, tore his hamstring string in the 400-meter semifinal, but continued the race as he limped. I marvel at how he could be in such pain, but still keep running. But this paints a picture this illustrates the story of black and brown Christians even in the midst of our deepest possible pain, which is not shallow by any stretch of the imagination. We kept running. And many have asked the question, but how? Because clearly something has torn in us. We We have not heard such desperate cries in this nation like this week that comes from a tear in the soul. We have not witnessed many black and brown people collapse this week in pain. Have we not? Have we not seen the tears that soaked the ground after Ahmaud Aubrey in Georgia, Breonna Taylor in Kentucky, George Floyd in Minneapolis, And dare I talk about the devastation of COVID-19 in black and brown communities, but it never fails. No, friends, it never fails. It always happens. It happens every time. Watch it and marvel at it. We get knocked down by injustice, only to rise again as we continue to limp through this race called life. And the question from those who look on in Marvel X, but how? And if you were to shout down the corridors of black history, but how? The answer you would get in exchange to, uh, to you is, but God. God is the only reasonable answer to why we are still running. You see, Derek Redman didn't finish the race on his own. It was his father coming alongside of him, lifting him up, that kept him running in the race. It is God coming alongside of us, lifting us up, that has kept us in the faith. This is not by our own strength. This is not by our own power. This is not by our own tenacity. But there is a God that we believe in that can do the impossible that has come alongside of us and He has lifted us up. Friends, this is the biblical truth that the black church has highlighted for all God's people that in her suffering and in her pain and in her tears, that God is our refuge. In strength, in a very present help in our troubles. 2020 has been a trying year. And I want to preach from this thought don't quit, help is coming. Our verse today says something extraordinary and encouraging about God. It says in Romans 15:5, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you. When do we need endurance and encouragement, friends and family? Simply put, we needed our entire Christian walk. There is not one moment that you and I are not in need of these two very important things, endurance and encouragement. Our entire Christian walk is a continual encouragement to hold on. It's about persevering to the end. And it is set before us over and over and over again in Scripture. But at times we need endurance and encouragement to hold on. In context, we certainly need it when dealing with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And somebody said, amen. We certainly need it when dealing with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul knows that we need it in the body of Christ when doing life with each other, particularly with people different than us. And Pastor Steve will cover this in a second. But when does a person in general need the supply of both endurance and encouragement? They need it when they are about to quit. They need it when they have had enough. They need it when their souls are heavy and they don't know what to do. They need it when they're tired and they don't know if they will overcome. They need it when they have been beat down and walked on for years. They need it when they are not valued. They need it when the system isn't set up for them. They need it when they are scared that their sons and daughters might not make it home because of the color of their skin. They need it. They need it when they don't know what to do and their hearts are troubled and they want to return evil for evil. They need it. They need it when they feel like justice is playing hide and go seek. They need it when they are trying to go to church to honor God and honor people, but life is not getting any better. They need it. They need it when they are sick and tired of being sick and tired. They need it when the obstacles of life are difficult and trials and oppositions are too great. They need it. In fact, have you ever cried out in anguish, in a demanding voice, Lord, I need endurance and encouragement because if one more weight of injustice comes my way, I'm afraid I might crack right down the middle. Am I talking to anyone this afternoon? Is anyone relating to me this afternoon? Have you ever been in a place with God? I'm talking about in a real place where you're so devastated and so, 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 so oppressed in your own soul that you that, that, that you cried out to God, how long, oh Lord, I need encouragement, I need endurance because I want to quit." And cry out, how long? Friends, we are hurt, we are tired, and we are carrying a lot of bags and we need God's supply of endurance and encouragement. It was the great liberator and emancipator Harriet Tubman, this Jesus-loving woman who risk her life for the sake of others who pin these words. If you are tired, keep going. If you are scared, keep going. If you are hungry, keep going. If you want to taste freedom, keep going. But if we will keep going, we must know how to access this very blessed blessing endurance and encouragement. Where can we get endurance and encouragement? Friends, who owns the storehouse of endurance and encouragement? Where can we get this most needed and valuable resource in a time such as this? I checked the local Myers, and I couldn't find it. Yes, friends, I checked the local Walmart, and I couldn't find it. I checked the resorts. And I remember that COVID-19 was out there. So I moved on. I checked Amazon and they didn't have it. Yeah, friends, I checked Facebook. They didn't have it neither. So I said, you know what? I'm going to go on over to IG. I went over to IG and guess what? Couldn't find it. So I said, let me try one more social media. I know that they have to have it Oh, I know that Snapchat has got to have some endurance and some encouragement for me. But friends, I couldn't find it. But then I cast my eyes on Romans 15, 5, and I found out that God has it. Paul calls him the God. Watch it, friends. Slow down. Don't zoom past this. This is the medicine for your own soul. He calls him the God of endurance and encouragement. In other words, we see this all over the Bible, that God can supply his people with these two resources. The Bible teaches us that God not only shows us this by precept, but he also teaches us this by example. We see this in the life of Abraham. We see him supply it to Joseph. We see him supply it to Moses. We see him supply it to David when he's on the run from King Saul. And we see him supply it to Daniel when he's in the lion's den. Over and over and over, the Bible teaches us that God supplies endurance in encouragement. In the darkest moments in his people's lives. God even supplies to his people endurance and encouragement in their fight for justice. Yes, God supplies endurance in encouragement for the race as well. This is certainly seen in the life of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. as he gives his testimony. Martin Luther King Jr. is famous for his speech I have a dream, everybody knows that speech and we rejoice over that speech and we recite that speech. But what we don't see and what we don't know is that, is that the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was not always happy, he was not always rejoicing, but in his fight to justice, he had his own struggles, he had his own times of fatigue, he had his own times of weakness, he had his own time of crying, he had his own time of mourning and we see this, Do you know the story of a time when his life was constantly threatened? When a phone call told him that if he persisted in three days, we're going to blow your brains out and blow up your house. He sat at the table that night in that house one night, thinking about his beautiful little daughter who had just been born. He thought about the fact that she could be taken from him any minute. He thought about his dedicated wife who was asleep and how she could be taken away from him or he could be taken from her. And as he thought about these things, he felt weak. His father was 175 miles away up in Atlanta. He couldn't call on his mother, but he remembered the person his father used to tell him about, the power that can make a way out of no way he realized that religion had to become real for him. He had to know God for himself. Anybody ever been in that moment where religion had to become real for you, where God had to become real for you, that all the church games couldn't work anymore, that you were not just opening up your mouth and saying empty words, but but a moment came that Christianity had to be more than some kind of mechanical thing that you did, but God had to be real for you. He needed it. And he thought about his dedicated wife and his children. And he realized sitting at that table as he bowed his head over a cup of coffee and prayed a prayer, he prayed out loud. He said, Lord, I'm down here trying to do what is right. I think I'm right. I think the cause that I represent is right. But Lord, I must confess that I'm weak now. I'm faltering. I'm losing courage. Can anyone relate to Martin? I can't let people see me like this, he said, because if they see me weak and losing my courage, they will begin to get weak. It seemed he could hear an inner voice saying, Martin Luther King, stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And lo, I will be with you even until the ends of the world. He heard the voice of Jesus telling him to fight on, promising to never leave him alone. He said, almost at once, my fears begin to go away. My uncertainties disappear. Something happened in his heart. Something that God often does in the believer. God comes along the believer in their distress, and he lifts them up. How? By supplying endurance and encouragement. How does God supply endurance and encouragement? How does God get encouragement and endurance from heaven to these souls? So that, uh, so that when all hell is breaking loose and turmoil is on our necks, how does he do it? My family, my friends, endurance and encouragement do not fall out of thin air. God supplies them through an intimate relationship with him via the Holy Spirit. When the Bible uses the word encouragement, watch it closely, the Greek word is parcellate. What does that mean? Well, in the Christian theology, it means advocate or counselor. It is one of the names that Jesus attaches to the Holy Spirit. It's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. He's a comforter. He is our defender. He is the one who steps beside us to uphold and defend our case like Derek Redmond's father did for him. This is a word that is taken out of the legal system of the first century. One writer says, you know, if you find yourself in trouble in the first century, you couldn't go down to Main Street to a firm of lawyers, you know. He says, no, you couldn't do that. No, you would, perically and take your troubles to someone who knew you. You would partner up with someone who would help you carry your burdens, someone who could speak in your defense, someone who knows you intimately. So what Paul is getting at is the way God supplies endurance and encouragement for his people is by partnering up with them in their troubles. Don't know if you heard that. If you heard me right, you would have shouted amen. This is what Paul is saying. So so, so what Paul is saying is not only is God for you, but God is with you. As if Paul is calling him a burden sharer and a heavy load carrier. Friends, when it comes to our burdens in life, we ought not to carry them alone, but we ought to partner up with God. We ought to pair up with God. Why? Because in times of trouble, God is closer than we think. And when we are weak and faltering and losing our courage, God comes beside us. He gets up under us so that even though my flesh is weak and my flesh may fail and my money may fail and the justice system may fail, my brothers and my sister Christ will not fail, I'll be able to see that God cannot fail. And when he grabs you and he gets up under you right in the nick of time, That is the moment your soul will sing. The Lord is the source of my strength. He is the source of my life. Friends, here's the goodness of God. That not only is God an omnipotent God, but he is an omniscient God. That God doesn't need you to cry out for help. God already knows that you need help. This is a beautiful story about Derek, and I'm almost done here. Here's the beautiful story about Derek, is that when Derek Redman was running, and Derek Redman got up and he started limping, what Derek did not see as he tried to get over the finish line, what he did not notice is that his dad was coming up behind him. Derek didn't call on his dad. He didn't cry out to his dad. Here's the beautiful part, is that Derek's dad was already watching. Derek's dad seen his son in pain, and Derek's father could not sit by while he his son was in pain and not help him. What I'm trying to say, church, is that God sees you. He sees your pain. He sees your distress. He sees what you're in, and you don't have to worry about it because God is a God who's going to come up behind us and up under us and lift us up in our pain, in our difficulty, in our struggle. So mama who's weeping and son who's weeping and father who's weeping over what has happened in this country, over what has happened over the four- Four hundred years. I want you to know that there's a God in heaven who's looking down on you, who sees your pain, and he will come alongside of you and give you the encouragement and the endurance that you need. And here's the thing. As Derek crossed that finish line, he was disqualified because his father helped him across that finish line. Friends, I'm so glad that in Christianity, we don't, dis, we don't get disqualified because God has helped us. In fact, it is the only way we can qualify, is if God helps us. And the reality is, church, Bethel Church, all those who are watching, we're gonna need God's help if we're gonna make it across the finish line of racial harmony. Because our fight against injustice is a long fight. Our fight of reconciling is a long journey. Our fight of forgiveness is going to be a long journey. But if God gets up under us, there is nothing that we cannot endure because the God of encouragement and endurance will see to it that his church stays unified and together. But that's not my part to preach. That's Pastor Steve's part to preach. And so Bethel Church, Bethel Gary, would you hit those hard buttons as our senior pastor comes and tells us about God's desire for racial harmony. Thank you, brother.
1: Well, good afternoon. Some of you thought that is the shortest sermon Dexter Harris has ever preached. Uh, And uh, in reality, he and I are sharing the pulpit today. And uh, Dexter gave the first part, I'm gonna give the second part, although I have to tell you I feel a little bit like the guy they would bring in for Michael Jordan, you know, when the Bulls winning all their championships, the guy that they would bring, they would bring in, you know I'm talking about? Oh, you don't? Well, that's kind of my point. Uh, that's how I feel coming in for Dexter Harris here today. But I wanted to, and, I, and, I, and I'm very glad that I can, stand in front of you today and I wanna say some things to you. Uh, and I, I believe that this is uh, primarily the, the Bethel Gary campus that is, uh, that is joining here, I want you to hear from the rest of our church that we love you. We love you. I want you to hear from us. We hurt with you in this. And everything that I'm about to share flows from that heart desire To be a blessing, to be an encouragement, and to bring to bear God's word upon all of these things that have been going on. And and I'll get into that in a moment. I just want to share with you a few things that we are doing as a church that have happened even this last week. Uh, Our lead elders and our pastors and many, many others have been engaged in long conversations. We've been asking the question, okay, Bethel Church, what can we do what can we do? What would God have us to do? This was the main purpose for a special gathering Thursday night at the Gary campus. We, we had our lead elders there. We had the leadership from the Gary campus there. Uh, we ate some Chick-fil-A, and we had a very long meeting where we just listened, lamented, and prayed. It was very, very productive and very, very meaningful. This week, I spoke on the phone with uh, Mayor Prince, the mayor of Gary, Uh, somebody that I have not met yet. He's the new mayor there. And uh, I was able to get on the phone with him. And I basically said that to him. I I introduced myself. He knew about us. He knew about City Life Center. And I I said, "Uh, Mayor Prince, I just want to ask, What can Bethel Church do? I'm calling to offer anything that we can do to help you. And what he said to me was, the fact that you would ask that question means more to me than you'll ever know. And he said it with emotion in his voice. And so I don't know what's going to come of that, but I have to believe some good things. We had a staff gathering here Friday, our our staff gathered. We haven't been together for basically three months and we gathered here at the Crown Point Campus to pray. And I know there's a prayer meeting later today as well. These are all things that we're doing, lots of other things that are being uh, talked about. In the words of one member of our Gary Campus who wrote me this week, she said this, Bethel is in the game now. I am grateful for this. I pray that we aren't bench-sitters watching those around us act or react. My prayer is that we are active players in this game, however God chooses to use us. And I say amen to that. So now I'm picking it up uh, where Dexter left off in Romans 15, which is really a prayer from the Apostle Paul, and it is a prayer for racial harmony in the church. Let me read the whole thing. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, look at that first word, may. May. This is the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He is, he is, longing. He's expressing a wish, a desire. He wants this to be true. And because it's in the Bible, we know God wants it to be true. This oneness, this harmony rooted in the person and the work of Jesus in accord with Christ Jesus. And that word there, it's a thinking word. It means to think the same things about. It means to be of one mind. That in the church, Brown, black, or as I used to sing as a kid, red, yellow, black, and white, all precious in his sight. It doesn't matter. We're to think the same thing about the gospel. It is rooted in the work of Jesus Christ. Be of one mind. I wonder today, is that a longing that you have as well, that the church would dwell together in harmony? And if not, what implicit bias, known or unknown, may be keeping you from personally cheering For more harmony and unity amongst God's people. Now you say, oh, well, I guess we got to agree on everything, don't we? No, no, we don't. You read the book of Acts, you see, they didn't even agree on everything. Even the apostles didn't agree on everything. And yet, we know the gospel overcomes those disagreements. It is the unity that we have in Jesus Christ... Be of one mind about the gospel. He doesn't write to the Roman Christians and say, hey, you all got to think the same thing about Rome's foreign policy, and you got to think the same thing about Rome's Caesar, and you got to think the same thing about Rome's Senate and, and all the rest. No, he doesn't, even, he doesn't even address that. He said, you got you to be of one mind about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that gospel is more important to a Christian Than anything else. It is more important to a Christian than his skin color. It is more important to a Christian than her politics. It is more important to a Christian than anything else that would otherwise divide us. And when those things do divide us, it means that we are minimizing the value of the gospel and we are raising the importance of lesser things. I have a simple illustration. I'd like to share with you, and and I'm going to admit on the front end, it's very simple, but sometimes these simple ones are the ones that stick with us. But I was thinking this week about racial reconciliation and the cross, the crucifixion of Jesus. You know, if you think about a cross, we have a cross up here, just a basic Christian cross. You've seen these all over the place. A cross has a vertical and it has a horizontal, okay? A vertical beam and, and a horizontal beam. And my understanding is that when they would crucify, oftentimes they would actually plant the vertical beam in the ground first. And then they would attach the victim to the cross beam and slide that cross beam into a notch and then attach the feet with nails, and that's how they would that's how they would crucify somebody. Well, intentional or not, the cross itself is a picture of how the gospel unites us. It has this vertical beam. This vertical beam, this reconciliation, begins with God and man. It begins in the vertical sense that I must, by faith, trust in Jesus. And when I do, I am reconciled to God and God to me. This is Romans five one. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, I'll show you that's the wrong verse. Let me quote it here. Therefore, since there we go. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Reconciliation begins with the vertical. And this is why around the world today we have millions of people trying to solve racial reconciliation. They want the horizontal, but they don't begin with the vertical. They don't begin with God and man. They don't begin with what Jesus did dying on the cross for us. They don't begin with that reconciliation. And that is why attempts to to bridge racial divides without the gospel ultimately fail. We can think about the the Israelis and the Palestinians, the Hutus and and the Tutsis in Rwanda, the Serbs and the Croats, Jacob and Esau, and on and on you can go down through history, ethnic divides that ultimately were never bridged because it did not include Jesus. There are people today focusing on the horizontal without the gospel, and it is ripping our country apart. They want the horizontal, but they don't want the vertical. Remember, which which direction did that curtain tear in the temple? Right? It was the vertical tear. It was from the top down. It was God to man And the gospel starts with vertical reconciliation. But every cross I've ever seen, it also does have the horizontal beam, doesn't it? On that horizontal beam, Jesus, the beam Jesus carried through the streets of Jerusalem, there on that horizontal beam, his hands were nailed on both sides, outstretched like to all huma- humanity, Jesus offering himself. And that horizontal beam his hands at both ends, his hands outstretched, his heart at the intersection between the vertical and the horizontal. The cross is a picture of the eternal reality that the gospel unites a redeemed humanity, an ethnically diverse redeemed humanity, and united we shall be forever and ever. And that is why... As a Christian, my identity in Christ is the one that that supersedes all my other identities. So what am I saying? Here's what I'm saying. Steve DeWitt is saying this, that I am a Christian before I'm an American, that I am a Christian before I'm a Hoosier, that I'm a Christian before I'm a white man, I'm a Christian before I'm a Protestant, I am a Christian before I'm a pastor, I am a Christian before and above all these other identities in my life. I am a follower of Jesus. And when I elevate my political uh, preferences or my, my uh, uh, background or whatever it is that maybe I am sort of raising above my identity of Christ, I will not have empathy with my minority brothers and sisters and their pain. As H.B. Charles said, the Bible calls us to weep with those who weep. It doesn't tell us to judge whether they should be weeping. How true that is. Now back to the text. Paul doubles down with the next phrase. Look what he says. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Together with one voice. What does that sound like? A whole lot of voices together as one voice, is this not a choir? Right, what's a choir? It's a whole bunch of people who are all singing the same song. Now, sometimes they do it in unison, but every choir I've ever heard, there is always a lot of different notes that are being sung, but the same song. So you've got the sopranos, they're hitting the high notes. You've got the, the basses, they're hitting the low notes. You've got people singing the melody. You've got people singing the harmony. I mean, if, if you said to a choir, everybody pick out your favorite song and all at once, let's all sing those songs. What would that sound like? Chaos, right? A choir comes together. A choir sings together. Now, they don't sing exactly the same note. They don't sing exactly the same, uh, or they're singing the same uh, song, but they might be singing different notes. And is that not a picture here? of what the purpose of Romans is in the end. I mean, if you think about this a moment, why did Paul write Romans? When he sat down and he went to write the book of Romans, what was lying in his heart? And you might say to yourself, well, I think Paul thought, I'm gonna write the greatest dissertation on the gospel. That's what I'm gonna do. Or, or, or maybe you thought, Paul thought, I'm gonna, nobody's really understood justification and union with Christ in the way that I can explain it. I'm gonna write it down so that 2,000 years later people can read it and study it. Is this why Paul wrote Romans? No, we get to Romans 15, and here is a purpose statement. In the end, the goal of all of these things is that people would dwell together in harmony. That people would dwell together in racial harmony. It was ethnic Division that was wreaking havoc in the Roman Church, and Paul writes Romans to bring them together. If you're here today and you love theology, I want you to know I love you. I love theology as well. But have you ever considered that the end goal of your doctrine is love? I was at a gathering one time. It was like a denominational sort of gathering, and a bunch of pastors were there, and. And uh, one of the, you know, the big cheese guys of the denomination was up talking, and he was talking about problems in the denomination, and he said this. He said, you know what? Our doctrine is right. Our problem is we just can't get along with each other. And the friend sitting next to me, he, he turned to me and he said, since when is love not a doctrine? And how true that is. If our doctrine, if our gospel does not lead us to love, one another, then we do not understand the gospel of the Bible. We do not understand Romans. We don't understand where God is taking us in this. What does one faith, one voice, one song look like in a moment like this? In a moment in our country, like this. In a moment where many of you, my 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 uh, black and brown brothers and sisters, you are hurting. You are hurting. What should we do? What should Bethel Church do? Well, I reached out to my friend, Pastor Mark Rogop, who's done a lot of reading and thinking on this subject. He's got a book coming out in a month on lament as a step in racial reconciliation. I reached out to him, he sent me the manuscript and told me I could use any of the material that I wanted. I want to relate to you really the main things that he says in this book. He, he has five, five action steps. Five L's that the church must do in racial reconciliation. Here's the first one. Love. Love. It is a time for those in the majority culture to make sure that those in the minority culture know that we love them. The second L is listen. We don't typically do that very well. We're not really great listeners. We like to speak, but we don't like to listen. We need to listen. We need to hear the stories. We need to hear the pain. Not so that we can argue, but so that we can listen. Third L is lament. Lament. As Pastor Mark defines it, lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Lament is a very biblical concept. It is, it is crying out to God in the injustices of life and in the brokenness of this world and essentially saying this, how long, O Lord, how long will it be like this? It is to mourn what has happened. As an, as an example of this right now, I would like for us to pause right here in our service right now And I want you to know I did this with the entire church earlier today. And to lament for three recent deaths in the black community that have been particularly painful. And these three individuals are George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, and Breonna Taylor. Let's pause for a moment. And let's lament their loss of life and the circumstances surrounding it. And then I will conclude that lament. And God, we say, how long, O oh Lord? Amen. The fourth L learn. Learn. There's a lot of room for learning in racial reconciliation. I know I have much to learn. Let's learn together. Amen. The final L is leverage. This is, the, this is the change. This is the transformation stage. To say, what can we do to more align with God's purposes through the gospel for true gospel community? You know, my personality is, I, I, I want to go from love to leverage. Like, you could ask my wife, Jennifer, if, if she's having a bad day or something, and I I say to her, I say, what's wrong? And she says, what's wrong? My mind, I'm like, well, let's fix that then. Let's just take care of that. And I quickly skip through the uh, listen, lament, and learn. I'm all about leverage. Any wives out there can relate to husbands like that? I'm sure you can. But no, we need to slow down. And we need to do it right. And if we don't, it will be the same outcome as the other moments, the many other outraged racial moments in our country's history. And I want you to know, as a leadership here at Bethel Church, we want to do it right. We want to honestly ask, God, what would you have us to do? Who would you have us to become? And we want to lead. You say, well, what are we leading toward? Where are we aiming for? How about this? That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. How does one song, multiple voices, multiple ethnicities, different notes, all blending together in a symphony of praise to God? How does that sound? And to do it together. Together brings glory to God. Unity brings praise to God. Not together brings dishonor to God. And so I want to ask you today, friend, how are you using your voice? You're part of the choir. How are you using your voice? What are the words that you're saying? What are the things that you're posting on social media? What are you communicating? Would people that hear your words think to themselves, hey, wow, look, there's a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. And I got to say, I have seen a whole lot on social media this week from people that call Bethel Church their home that I would not call one voice harmony. I wouldn't call it glorifying God with togetherness. I've seen a lot of people glorifying their political party. I've seen a lot of people glorifying their own opinion. I see people glorifying themselves. But I want you to think about your words this week. Would somebody, hearing or reading your words, think, wow, blessed are the peacemakers? I have been disappointed by many in our church this week. And I'm sorry to have to say it, but it needs to be said. There are people that are fomenting the problem. They are not listening. They are not lamenting. And in this, I think Romans is such a great guide for us. Like if, if Romans was a was a long social media post, and it would be a long one for sure. But if it was a long one, and in that post it celebrated the vertical gospel and concluded with the horizontal gospel, to ask yourself, does my tone, does my my vibe, my voice, does it sound like Romans? Does Does it take your reader or listener to where Romans takes us? Does our voice sing with the gospel melody and summon those who hear to sing along with us? And in this respect, with racial reconciliation, our church has come a long ways. So many good things that we've already done. I think that's one reason I was able to be on the phone with Mayor Prince this week. And for him to say the things that he said about our church. We earned a, a, a hearing with him, praise God. But can our church be such a place that when our society is burning... We can say, hey, this is what it's supposed to look like. Come into Bethel Church and see what racial harmony looks like. See what singing together the gospel song sounds like. Can we do that? Can they see our lives and hear our songs? And can they see the racial harmony Jesus can bring? And on this point, surely, if we were honest, there is a lot of repenting that we all should do. There is a lot of confessing that we all should do.